Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Philbin, financial coach, accredited financial counselor, certified money coach, and founder of the 4,000 Person Strong Financial Coaches Community Facebook group. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. I'm a tenured professor, a serial entrepreneur, a certified financial planner, and I run a nonprofit organization that provides financial planning resources to over 100,000 families each year. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal coaching business. I'm really excited today because it was fun. I put out a question in the group a couple of days ago saying, hey, we're going to be live. Here's some potential questions. And nobody picked the questions that I put out. Michael Barnes actually put out the question that we're doing today. And that's what I love about this group is you could just put out and ask and say, here's what we're thinking. And we got feedback that the question y'all had most was, how do I get my first few clients as my business starting? So that's what we're going to tackle today. And we're going to start off more conceptual, right? Yep. And then dive in. Yeah. Perfect. So let's start with uh, kind of a preface of this may not be a satisfying answer because there is no silver bullet. And anyone who tries to sell you a silver bullet of do these three things and clients will beat down your door, be very skeptical of that. They are selling you something, not helping you. Because if there was a silver bullet, businesses would be successful just automatically without any challenge whatsoever. And there wouldn't be that, what is it, 95% yeah, um, failure, rate. failure rate over five years or something like yeah. that. Another caveat is that we're also going to be focusing, as we're talking conceptually, more on things to do and things to be aware of in the short term. Mm-hmm. And so this idea is how to get your first few clients. So, so there are some things that we might say to not focus on in the beginning that you have heard as things to focus on that may be really great for long-term strategies or how to start getting clients in year two, year three and beyond. So we are going to be focusing more specifically on these, maybe in the first six months to a year of your business. Would that be accurate? Yeah. If you've got 200 clients already, probably a lot of these things are not going to apply to you. (laughs) If you have 200 clients already, I want to shake your hand. Right, exactly. But you know, the, the question was literally, How do we get started? And so if you're in your first zero clients or first few clients, or even your first dozen or so clients, um, these are going to be more relevant to where you're at. So let's start with talking through the ideas. And it's important to realize that getting clients is not you're going down to the store and picking up a gallon of milk, right? You can't go to the client store and buy them. It would be nice. Right. It would be nice. The clients, surprising to some people on, you know, Facebook who or LinkedIn that send those messages to you. uh, But the clients actually have a choice in the process. Uh, I know it's amazing that that that's the case. Yikes. But uh, and so we want to really understand what that choice is going to look like for the clients. And there are a series of external factors and a series of internal factors that determine whether or not a client decides to work with you, Garrett, or you, Michael, or you, anyone else listening. So as we talk about the external factors, realize that I'm talking about them being external to us as the coach. So we have zero control over those factors. 
And the internal factors, we also don't have control over, but we have influence over. Okay. Right. So we'll start with the external factors. Okay. External, factor, uh, external factors really come down to four things. Number one, the person has to have the need, right? The psychological need of wanting this to happen. And that need has to be both known and felt. There is a difference between having a need, knowing that you have the need, and feeling that you have the need. Just because someone is buried in credit card debt does not mean that they know they have the need for help. And while you can educate them about that need, that may take months or even years just for this first little checkbox to be checked of educating on them on that need. And then it may be more months and more years for them to act on it. So unless you're planning on I'm going to work on getting clients in five years from now. Yeah. You need to really focus on the people that know they have the need and not try to chase after people that don't. It, it reminds me of uh, the six stages of change model mm -hmm. where there's like pre-contemplation yeah. is the first stage where you don't even know that you have the need or the issue. And so if people want to Google that, I can put a link to it, but it's really helpful visually just to see that if they're in that stage, they literally don't know or they aren't ready. You know, the planning stage or the action stage is two or three stages ahead. So it's just not yeah. going to happen. So don't even try. And then the idea of the felt need, right? Uh, just because you know you have a need doesn't mean you have, you've, the need is felt. And felt means that it is immediate in your life right now. So we all know we have the need for food. None of us are surprised by, oh, our bodies die without food, right? We're kind of aware of that. Yeah. Yet we don't always feel hungry. And when we feel hungry, we go out to In-N-Out and get a hamburger or whatever fast food place you go to. But we pass by every fast food place, including our favorite ones, when we're not hungry. And so it's important to realize that it's not just enough for them to know they have the need. You have to identify, does this person feel that they have the need? Yep. And you need to really focus on this idea because spending time talking with people who are not in those categories, word will start to spread. This is how people start to feel this icky feeling about sales because you're talking to someone who is not receptive. And word will spread that, wow, they bugged the heck out of me about this. And it has nothing to do with you and your conversation. You may have the exact same conversation with two people, but one person feels relieved by the conversation and the other person feels annoyed because the person who's annoyed doesn't know and doesn't feel their need, whereas the person that relieved is relieved does. So you want to be really discerning when you have conversations about does this person fall into that category? Right. The next thing is they have to be ready. You can feel you have the need, but not be ready to actually take action. And so the timing has to be right. You have to be willing, right? There's going to be work. There's, there are people that are ready to, but they're not willing to take those steps yet. And they have to be able. They have to have the financial resources to pay you. Yeah. Because otherwise you don't have a business, you have a nonprofit. Wonderful. Set up a nonprofit and we can help you with that as well. But 
just realize that that's a completely different revenue model than what most people are looking at with regard to getting their first few clients. So those are the external factors. And so the first step is really just make sure that when you talk to people about your financial coaching, that you qualify them first to make sure that you're not wasting your time and damaging your personal brand with those that you already know. And that's something where newer coaches, and I remember this in my, um, as I was starting out, it, it can be really frustrating when you um, want it more than the people across, you know, that you're either working with or that you kind of see that they could have the need. You're like, ah, oh, I just want it more for them. And if you, at any stage of that, want it more than they do, it can be really frustrating. It can cause you to kind of doubt your value and... Um, mm-hmm. So just being aware of if you want it more than them at any of those stages, it'll bring up uh, one, it will be likely perceived as annoying or pushy or salesy, or it will bring in self-doubt, questioning your effectiveness. Yeah. Head trash, as you put it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Before going on to the internal factors, do you want to cover, I think it was Sarah's question. Uh, yeah. So one of the internal factors is trust. And Sarah had the question of mm-hmm. how upfront should you be uh, with the fact that if you have a client, what does, is that the first client that the person has? Um, and so Sarah, if you're having one of your first clients, if you're actually working with them, my recommendation is to be upfront with them about that. Because while you might think that you're going to be good at hiding it, you're not. They're going to realize it because you don't have processes down. You're going to make a mistake and have to correct that mistake. And if they know that, hey, I'm one of your first clients, I'm going to be giving you a lot more grace and be a lot more understanding of, okay, I'm still getting a lot of value out of this process. And it's just, you know, oh, that makes sense. It They've never done this before, so it's totally fine that they sent me an updated budget worksheet. And I look at that and I say, I don't care because I got the right budget worksheet. Whereas if I think you've been doing this for five years with 50 clients and you send me an updated budget worksheet, I think, what type of operation do you have that you still have old budget worksheets (laughs) that you send out to clients, right? Um, And so I would say be upfront because it helps to preserve that trust. I think it allows them to be consenting in the process too, mm-hmm. where if you just know that's like, okay, I get that I'm one of your first clients. And as long as I am aware and can agree to that, then some people love that, right? Being able yeah. to give feedback and help you get better and be understanding. And they really enjoy kind of actively helping you get better with what you're working on. So it, it can be a much better experience by making that be upfront. And it kind of reminds me of something I read in a book where, Um, This idea of trying to hold a beach ball underwater, it takes Mm -hmm. so much energy to hold a beach ball underwater. And that's kind of what you're doing if you aren't upfront with where you are and you're trying to hide that this is your first couple of clients. It's hard to hide because you're spending so much energy and worrying that it's going to come out somehow. And that energy could be used so many other places and just doesn't have to be spent Yeah, doing it that way. Yeah. And so just, I would say be upfront. And you can deal with some of the things that that will cause issues with in other ways. Uh, So let's talk about the internal factors. So the first internal factor is trust. Trust is the slowest one to build and the Mm -hmm. easiest one to lose. Right. 
Yes. And so just you want to realize that this is going to be one of the big things. People will not buy from you unless they trust you. And this example of should I hide this idea from them? We have this fear that people are going to reject us because we're new at this. But everyone's new at this. And at, at something, right? At some point in their life, every doctor was a new doctor. <laughs> yeah. And it's and people have this understanding of this. And the fact of the matter is, there are some people that are excited by it and some people that hate it. And it just means that you're going to be focusing on one group versus the other. Yeah. With regard to trust, trust is a one strike and you're out game. There is not, this is not something that is, um, that you get three strikes. Uh, if you have an employee and that employee does excellent work, and then they screw up and mess up a project, but you've had four years of, their, of them experiencing, they do excellent work. What goes through your mind right then with they screwed up royally on this project? What are you thinking? Actually, a couple different things come up. Yeah. So I'm interested in now what you're thinking. Go for it. No. <laughs> uh, I guess I would kind of wonder if they would do that again. I, my knee jerk is actually, if they have four years of good work, that may be curious as to what happened. You know, there you if go. there is something going on, right? Because if you have this track record, there's probably something externally going on where, right? Like some, yeah, that's they had a bad day. Are they going through something yeah. with their kids? Right? Family you, members. You, right. Yeah. You immediately go to, oh, something's going on outside of them that caused them to mess up. I wonder if I can help them. <laughs> That's funny. I totally was like, oh my God, is this a trick question? No. Okay, <laughs> good. I got it. <laughs> now let's flip the, let's flip the script. Four years of working with this employee. They've never lied to you. And then you catch them in a big lie for one time. What's going through your head right now? How many other times have I been <laughs> lied to? <laughs> that I didn't notice it. Right. Yeah. And this is really important. Trust is a one strike and you're out game with almost everything else in what we do with our clients in the other internal factors. There is grace. There is our past experiences with those clients override that one experience. But trust, we immediately go to, oh, now they've shown their true character. And now I'm looking for how four years of past experiences were wrong. Yeah. Right. And so it's really important that you focus on how are you going to build trust and how are you going to preserve it? And this is not just with your clients. This is with the people that you interact with that you're trying to get as clients. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mean you're in the sales process. I mean, literally, if you're posting on Facebook and one of the things you want to do is be able to promote on Facebook that you're doing financial coaching. And so if anyone needs help, you're available to them, right? To your existing network, be very careful about doing things that diminish trust with that existing network. Yeah. The second factor is confidence, right? Not your confidence, their confidence that you can actually do what you say you can do, right? That you can actually help them. And you saying over and over again, here's my story. This is my experience, right? Those things are helpful, but everyone has a story. I know lots of people 
who love building model airplanes. And they've got a lot of experience building model airplanes. But I would not get into an airplane that they built from scratch. Because the consequences are too big if they don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Correct. And so while your story is a powerful part of that confidence, um, you have to realize that it's only going to take you so far. And you want to start looking at how can you build external validation? How can you look to being able to show that you have this certification or you've taken these courses at a university? Right. Because those things and it doesn't mean that you have to get an AFC or a CFP certification, but even saying, you know, I've gone through the CFP curriculum at a local university. Right. That at least shows some external validation. Part of external validation is things like testimonials. Can't really have testimonials when you're getting your first few clients. So that's kind of the challenge. Right. Uh, But external validation doesn't have to be big certifications and things. It can be, here are people I've worked with. It can be your Yelp page, Garrett, right? That's external validation. It can be doing a good amount of research on your niche or knowing if you have any Mm -hmm. kind of target market and writing content particular for them. Yes. Yeah. And then the last one is relatedness. And relatedness is, do I relate to the person? I may trust them. I may have confidence they can really do what they want to do, but I don't relate to them as a human. And relatedness is very important, especially when you're hiring a professional service provider, right? A person who's going to guide you and advise you on things. And so you want to identify how can I demonstrate my relatedness? And this goes back to that niche idea. When you are trying to go after everyone, you cannot be relatable to anyone. Because I don't relate to the amorphous concept of all humans, right? I relate to people who have a four-year-old because I have a four-year-old. I relate to people who have a one-year-old because I have a one-year-old. I relate to people who went through a very bad divorce and are in a much better place because I had that experience. And that doesn't mean that I only relate to people that I have those experiences with, but the more focused you are on that niche, the more your communication, the way that you present, here's who I help, people can go, oh, that's me. I don't care if my doctor had my life experiences, but I really want my doctor to be a pediatrician, well, my kids' doctors, to be a pediatrician that specializes in ages one to five. Because that's the kids that I have. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so that my, my doctor, our pediatrician, her kids are like in their 20s and older. But that's what she specializes in. So therefore, that's relatable to me. And so these are the types of things that you want to focus on building for yourself. Once you have those things, once you've figured out, okay, this is how I'm going to identify whether or not someone is the right person right? They have the need, they know it, they feel it, they're ready, they're willing, and they're able to become a client. And I identify, these are the things that I'm going to do to build trust, to have confidence, right? To to build the confidence that the other people have in me and to be relatable to people, right? To show that I specialize in who they are, not in financial coaching. 
then we can go out and start looking for clients. And your sources for clients, there's one really good source and a whole bunch of ones that are theoretically a good idea, but they're horrible for the first few clients. Um, I would highly recommend before anyone do the one that we're going to mention in a second, go see and check out our best practices pre-launch series because there is an entire uh piece of content. There's an entire set of best practices for here's what to do before announcing to your family and friends. And that is going to be the first people that's the most likely that you're going to get traction with. Yes. But you don't want to just randomly announce. Make sure you read that uh, series so that you know, okay, these are the things that I need to do before I do that. But your family and friends, those are going to be the first group of people that you should go to. And that doesn't mean you're going to try and sell to your family and friends. These are your allies that you want to recruit amongst because your family and friends trust you. Your family and friends, they're already related to you. I don't mean like blood related, although half of that group is. I mean, like they relate to you because they like you because they are your family and friends. So you've got two out of the three built in. The only one that's the hard one to figure out is. Uh, confidence because your mom still thinks of you in diapers. Your cousin still thinks of you as that four-year-old that they ran around playing with at the lake. Right. Um, and we, we have to work really hard to break out of that. And so your focus with family and friends, your interactions is not about trying to get them to buy from you. Your focus in the beginning should really be on how can I demonstrate that I actually know what I'm talking about with regard to this? Because you've got the built-in trust. You've got the built-in relatedness. If we can just capture that confidence hurdle, we got all three. And now, not we can sell to them, but we can enlist them in saying, here is who I help specifically. Who do you know that falls into that category? And that is when they say, oh, I know John at my work, they fall into that category because they're exactly the group of people that you go after and they have that need. Well, the fact that John at work, that they know John at work has that need means that John both knows that they have the need and feels the need because they wouldn't be talking about it otherwise. (laughs) They wouldn't have shared it otherwise. Yep. Right. They're ready to it because they wouldn't have shared it and they are willing because they wouldn't have shared it otherwise. So the only thing you have left is, are they able, which is part of the sales conversation. hundred percent. And so you're not going to be selling to your family and friends. What you're going to be doing is you're going to be building up that confidence. So you get the trifecta trust, confidence, and relatedness. And that trust, confidence, and relatedness, because your friend trust has confidence you and related to you when they talk to John at work, that trust, confidence, and relatedness, a portion of that will be transferred to them because John trust has confidence in and has related is related to, meaning they connect with the fact that they both work together. 
And so you start from like a, a huge jump forward instead of scrapping and fighting saying, hey, I do financial coaching. Who needs money help? And you've got none of the external or internal factors built in. Yep. And that's how you and get I think the first nice, client. I was going to say nice to have um, not that feeling of having to sell to family and friends. I know that on you know, some of the sales positions, certainly more in financial planning, you know, the broker dealers that are more the salespeople of the world, like that's more well, the modus operandi. There are financial coaching programs that also teach this. <laughs> and uh, yeah. that as well, right, yep. of going out and selling to family and friends. And I think it's just much lighter feeling to not have to do that, but to say, okay, I already have these built-in networks with some trust, but how do I build in that, that they have confidence in me? Yeah. It just kind of changes that equation of like the ickiness factor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now some things that you shouldn't do when you're starting off. Mm -hmm. Okay. First thing yeah. that you shouldn't do with your started off. Um, I do not believe that you should go after CPAs, enrolled agents, financial advisors as referral partners. That if you can crack that, it is a huge opportunity. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this is a bad idea to do. But when you're starting off, unless you are your families and friends are CPAs, financial advisors, so on and so forth, it is a really bad situation to focus on because they don't have trust in you. They don't connect with you personally. They don't have confidence in your ability to do these things. And they have both a personal obligation and oftentimes a legal obligation to protect their clients. Got it. And so that is a huge uphill battle to fight. Right? Now, it's not a bad idea for a long-term strategy to work on. And in fact, it's a great idea for a long-term strategy. But don't focus on that as this is how I'm going to get my first few clients. It will be very frustrating because they really want to protect their clients. Yeah. Um, and if they don't want to protect their clients, they're not good say, for partners. Say, the good ones will. The good yeah. ones will want to protect themselves. Yeah. Um, next, social media influenced. Um, posting on social media to try and get clients is not going to be very effective because of the fact that you're really connecting with your families and friends. And so... We're already talking about doing that. And so social media becomes a part of that strategy. But trying to just go out there and gather random people on social media, number one, that is a huge uphill battle. And people will say, what are you guys talking about? Garrett's built a 3,000 member Facebook group, right? He's built a, a, a huge audience. Yes. And how long did that take you, Garrett? <laughs> well, we're two and a half, if not three years into it. And most people who initially got here were here because I wrote a 27 page article that took me two and a half years, you know, of experience plus a month of writing to put mm -hmm. together. So, and yes. it went on Michael Kitsis's uh, website. <laughs> Correct. It went <laughs> at his audience. He built for the last decade. Yeah. So if you want to spend 12 years doing it, by all means, Facebook can be like an awesome opportunity for you. Right. And, and there are always going to be exceptions, right? There are always going to be people who are very connected already on social media. And, you know, but we're speaking right. to for the first six to 12 months, for most people, it won't be as a, it won't be a very effective short term client acquisition yeah. strategy. 
Yeah. And even the academic research is very mixed on this. Um, so on the positive side, uh, research has demonstrated that 67% of people say that they uh, buy from companies they follow on Twitter. But that doesn't mean following on Twitter caused them to buy. That could be, yeah. I already like this company because I've been buying from Apple for the last two decades. Oh, they've got a Twitter account. I'm going to follow them. Right. Good point. On the flip side of that, Forrester Research has shown that uh, 2% of sales transactions come off of social media. Whereas email and other um, search advertising and other things are much more effective. Got it. Um, and so just the things that people look at as, oh, these are safe and easy things to do. They can be powerful, but they take enormous time to do. And they're not the low hanging fruit that really defining who you serve and building out that relationship and that confidence and then going to your family and friends to help them have them help you identify potential people. That is a much more focused thing. But you can't ask family and friends to talk to their friends and their family yeah. and their coworkers until you have built that confidence in them, in yourself. Well, there's a question that came in, um, mm -hmm. Brandon's or more of a comment. He said, the fact that most of friends are supportive is the problem. I can count on one hand, the number of people that actually share my stuff and even want to talk about it. Um, so I could hear maybe yep. from what you shared, there could be, it could be a confidence question. It could be a, an enrollment question. Um, but that, that's a challenge that Brandon's been having. Yeah. And also realize that. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no. You. Yeah. So he mentioned something that I think might be um, part of the issue. And so, Brandon, thank you for bringing this up because it's a really important thing. Say that again. Oh, it, unless you're getting sound for me, I'm, I'm not saying anything. I'm just typing over here, responding to someone up. in the comments. <gasps> no. Oh. It might be my mic. So I'm sorry if we're having a little technical oh. difficulties, but um, I will not talk for the next two minutes. No, it no. is all you. Okay, so I'll, keep, I'll just talk and assume that you guys can hear me because I'm getting a little bit of lag on my side. So, cool. Uh, okay, so Brandon, thank you for bringing this up because it's a really important point. From the fact that he said, I can count on one hand the people that have shared. Right. I'm assuming that what that means is he's posting content and then hoping that people will reshare that content, reshare that point. And I want, I want to be very clear about what I was talking about is having them help you find people that they know that need it. It is highly, highly unlikely that your content will be shared. Highly unlikely. Because, Garrett, you and I are friends on Facebook. You post something that is actually helpful and valuable. And so I'm going to like it because we're friends on Facebook and because this was a good article. But then in order for me to share, I have to think, oh, wow, how many of my friends could actually use this information? And while right. we think the answer is everyone, <laughs> that is not what other people are going to think. Other people are going to think, 
oh, none of my friends talk about having credit card debt because we don't share that kind of stuff because we're embarrassed by it. So therefore, we're not going to publish or share this article, right? And so just realize that shares on Facebook is not what, it's not going to be a good, that's sort of that social media, that going that direction, it's not going to be helpful. What I'm really talking about here is you focusing on building your confidence, usually by actual interactions with people, right? And then, although posting on Facebook can also be a part of that building their confidence in you. And it doesn't matter that they don't share it. If you're doing a bunch of stuff, including posting information on Facebook, Twitter, whatever else, and the person is saying, oh, wow, they really know their stuff. Now, when you ask them, hey, I'm starting this business, again, read that best practices series on FCN's website before you do this, but I'm starting a business. I'd really, do you know of anyone that that could use this help, right? Because you've taken the time to build the confidence that you can actually do this stuff, now they're going to think, oh yeah, this person would actually be helpful. And then ask for them to reach out. Say, hey, I would love to be able to help the person. Would you mind making an introduction? Would you mind um, you know, emailing both of us and saying, hey, here's some information. This is a person that helps with uh, this type of stuff. You don't have to say, John, I know that you've got $40,000 in credit card debt, right? They don't have to put the other person on blast. But they can say, hey, John, based on our conversations, I think you might be interested in in this person. They're a friend of mine. I've known them for a long time. And uh, they might be able to help you. But until you build that confidence, they're not going to send that email. Got it. Uh, A couple of fun things came in. Karen said after you kind of knocked off social media, knocked off referral partners, she's like, well, there go all my great ideas uh, for how, how to post. And I was like, Josh is very, very good at that. Uh, yeah. I tell my students in my entrepreneurship class, I'm going to be consistently the bully at the beach that every time you build a sandcastle, I'm going to knock it down. Now I tell them we're going to learn how to rebuild it every time I do that, uh, which we're going to do here. It just will be over a longer period of time. <laughs> Right. You can only get so much into every Facebook live. Exactly. Uh, which I also love. We, we got a couple snarky people. Emily Glassby Blaine was like, wait, Garrett posts things that are helpful and valuable on Facebook. Uh, so thanks, Emily. <laughs> no, that was a completely you. theoretical example. Emily. Yeah. Again, <laughs> definitely theoretical, not actually true. But there, there was a question that came in from Robin. She said, since you're a CFP, Josh, are there full-time jobs that non-CFPs can pursue as a day job that will help bridge the coaching as a side hustle. Yeah, the well, first off, being a CFP does not is not a requirement for getting into financial advising. Yeah. Um, the vast majority of people who call themselves financial advisors and are government licensed to sell products and even give advice, because those are two different things: selling products and giving advice. The two separate licenses. Uh, the vast majority of them are not CFPs. And this really doesn't come out of that you shouldn't get a CFP. This comes out of there are multi-level marketing financial advisor firms out there that give people two weeks of training on how to sell products to their family and friends. So a lot of people who are quote unquote financial advisors are those multi-level marketing uh, people. Uh, But just from a number standpoint, those two things are, are different concepts. 
But we'll assume that we're talking about non-licensed and non-CFPs. So we'll just kind of roll them all into one. And with regards to day jobs that you can get that will help with that, I would say think about who your ideal client is and what their needs are, and then get day jobs that would be helpful in those areas. So if your ideal clients are people who are dealing with uh, big back taxes and they need help with budgeting to handle paying off those taxes, get a job as a uh, enrolled agent in H&R Block. <laughs> You can become an enrolled agent. A CPA will take you forever to do. Becoming an enrolled agent, you could start now and be an enrolled agent by January. Hmm. That gives you external validation. That give now, if you're not going the tax route, don't do this. But right, this is but this is an example. And this would be a day job that can build towards that. If you want to help people with uh, get buying their first house, go get a day job at a bank. And work your way up to being a mortgage uh, person at the bank. Because now you have inside knowledge. And guess what? You have external validation because, oh, yeah, I worked for uh, Farmers and Merchants Bank as a uh, loan officer, as a mortgage loan officer. Wow, you really know your stuff. Why? Because Farmers and Merchants Bank become your external validation. Yeah, good point. And so just think about who your ideal client is and what their need is, what you're going to provide them with, and then find those day jobs that awesome. relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was great. Robin was like, no taxes. I don't even do my own. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then yes, not, not the tax route. I love that, that uh, you put that in there, Robin. Yeah. Um, I don't either, by the way. And, yeah, but, neither, but yeah. Neither do I. I love, I love taxes. Like I get totally nerded out on them, but they are so ridiculously complicated. There is no way I'm going to do it on my own. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else that you have? Well, actually, first of all, if there are any additional questions that y'all have, um, please go put them in the comments so that we can get to them. Um, if we don't get to them today, we'll also then future come back lives. and answer it. Yep. Either in future lives, or we can come back in the comment section and answer them there. But was there anything kind of on your uh, outline, things that you want to cover No, that we haven't yet? We get all the major things that I wanted to make sure to talk about. So we'll uh, sign off and awesome. see you guys in a week. Remember, yeah, this is fun. Now. I was going to say every Thursday, making it a, uh, a consistent thing. So I'm excited. Um, and we'll give you prompts for um, what questions you want us to answer and topics you want us to dive into. Um, cool. Well, thanks everybody. And thanks again, Josh. And we'll be on next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. So you'll be the first to know when a new episodes are released and it helps iTunes and Stitcher and everyone else know that you like the podcast. So it recommends it to other people. And if you can think of one person, either a financial coach or someone aspiring to be who would connect with and be helped by what we talked about today, share it with them as well. And if you're ready to build a successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with those clients, and run your business efficiently. Head to financialcoachesnetwork.com backslash start here. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.